0: And uh, welcome to another episode of Swing Thoughts. Very exciting in the studio today, we'll tell you about that. Uh, I'm Howard from the Humble and Fred show, humbleandfredradio.com, along with Tim O'Connor, the uh, mental performance coach at Glen Abbey. Timothy. Good morning. Good morning to you. Good to see you back in Ontario. Good to be back in Ontario after my big uh, road trip. Last week to uh, Oak Hill. We'll talk a little bit about that. This episode, as always, brought to you by TaylorMade Adidas. The number one driver in golf is TaylorMade. And uh, thank you to uh, Adidas and TaylorMade for uh, throwing some shirts and some stuff so that myself and my better ball partner could dress identically. Which we got no end of shit from by uh, other people in the room. They're just jealous. Oh, yeah. Envy. That's exactly what it was. And, of course, uh, also brought to you by Glen, Karen, and Blue Springs. There's never been a better time to join Club Link and play two of the finest golf courses. Absolutely. Are you okay? I know you are um, a little frazzled getting in here. Oh, I'm... Feeling calm, I, I did my breathing
1: exercises. I gave uh, the guy to my left some some grief for going three times on the on the so, on the late thing,
0: but I'm good with that. Well oh, you we're gonna introduce uh, the guy on your left is one of your students and a friend of mine, along with another student and a friend of mine. Uh, today's episode is entitled "What We Learned." Uh, about ourselves in golf in the summer of 2016, two of the guests uh, have been uh, working with Tim O'Connor extensively. I think by now I'm fairly familiar with the O'Connor method. Feel the club head, close your eyes, ah, whatever. <laughs> That's what it is. What I just, oh, I got a train. By the right way, it. I didn't mean to diminish your whole methodology. Just into, to feel the club, close your eyes and
1: breathe. Just to nail it down. That's right. That's right. Um,
0: Our first uh, two, one of our two. Uh, guess, is a uh, low handicap. I don't even know what his handicap is. He's like a 2 or a 1 or a 3. He's played a lot of golf over a, a lifetime. I don't know how old he is. He's got to be close to 80. But he is a uh, very unique individual and one of my favorite people. It's funny. I was talking about him with another friend of ours, and I said, I love playing golf with this person because... I know when you play well, he appreciates good, good golf. He also plays golf by the rules of the way he was meant to be. Uh, his name is Mike Bondy. Mike, welcome to the show. Welcome to the show. Okay. Thank you. Welcome Very to the show. Very happy Mike to Bondi. be here. Um, and our other guest is making a return to our program. I think he was in one of the first couple of episodes. He is a uh, former university player, has uh, excelled at the highest level. He's won about eight club championships. He has played in the Canadian Amateur, the Mid-Am, many uh, big-time tournaments and always comports himself uh, on the outside very well. He, he would appear uh, to strangers as being very polite and uh, um, very sort of well-spoken, soft-spoken at times, but to those of us that know him, He's one of the most ridiculous human beings you'll ever play golf with. Paul Gortner, everybody. The Paul Gortner is here. Thank you. Thank you, Howard. Yes, you're welcome, Paul. Um, Let's get started. You know, when you come back from summer vacation in school, you know, sometimes a teacher would say, Hey, Mike and Paul, what did you guys do on your summer vacation? I thought on this episode of Swing Thoughts, because you're students of Tim's, I would ask and we would talk about what you learned about yourself during the summer of golf in in 2016, and some of the lessons learned from Tim, but I want to also uh, provide this introduction that Mike Bondy, who is a, a, a self-made man, a successful businessman, a very driven human being, also has. Um, I'm not sure what you call it. It's it's a he, he deals with uh, Tourette's, and um, I thought we should say that because it's a, it's another element of life that you deal with as a golfer and as a person, and I think very well. I mean, I've only known you for four years, but I I see you conduct yourself with this, I don't want to say disease. What is it? It's a condition. Condition. And uh, how does it manifest itself?
2: Well, Well, my tick, as you just heard, is a whistle. The best way to describe Tourette's to someone who doesn't have Tourette's is you have an itchy mosquito bite, and you can't touch it. That's what it's like for a person with Tourette's to hold in their tick. And people think, oh, you just whistle. That's just the the tip of the iceberg. Um, What goes on on the inside is, is tough. We all get intrusive thoughts. Everyone does, and especially in golf. When you have Tourette's, The best way uh, I've described that is it's like you have a radio on in your head. The stations change and the volume changes at any time and you have no control over it. That's how I would describe Tourette's. So when you say you have no control
0: over it, when when we're talking and you'll whistle, you know, after having conversations with you for four years i don't even really hear it anymore that's because you're used to me well and and even when i first met you i didn't know it it's funny it's funny no one told me that but when we first met i thought okay well that's something's happening but but i think like a lot of people you think about tourette's it's the someone that can't control their swearing that's called carpalalia did, has that ever been part of your condition?
2: No. Whenever I swear, I mean it. Sure. <laughs> That's the best. Very he does. Intentional. Very, Very
0: intentional. Very intentional. Whenever I, I swear, that. I yeah. mean contest. it. We can all contest to that. Um, so when you say you can't control it, and this is how I want to lead into golf. Um, so it just you, you, if you wanted to stop that whistle, you can't.
2: Oh, yes. I could hold it. But then the the, the tension is really—it's mm. like the mosquito bite is really going to drive you nuts. The longer you go with So,
0: using track. your analogy, is is it relieved when you <clears throat> whistle? Oh yes.
1: Mm-hmm. And you just let it go. You're just like, this is going to happen. Mm-hmm. So this is going to happen.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I was 31 before I knew what it was. I mean, if this wasn't a G-rated program, I'd tell you about... Well, it's the, barely G-rated. I'd tell you about the, <laughs> a blind date I had with a neurologist, and she diagnosed me on the date. Like during the activity? Were you in the middle of, uh, you know, uh, doing your business and all
0: of a sudden, just going, hang hang on a second there, son. you mean son. eating dinner? Yes. That's the, what he means.
2: Yes. It <laughs> happened... I mean, um, she diagnosed me at dinner. Okay. Correct. And the rest is... Uh, <laughs> Another story off air.
0: No one wants to have that <laughs> mental image of you and someone with a brain. Just kidding. Listen, let's this talk a, to...
2: This is at least 40 years ago, right? So think When about he was he 30? Like yeah. You know, oh, he looks... I'd like to clarify one more thing, if I may. Howard. Yes, please. <laughs> um, I didn't play golf till I was almost 40. Come so, on. So I did. Yeah. And so I've been playing about the same length of time as as Mr. Gortner. And here. seriously... Uh, you mean Gortner's been alive? <laughs> Let's this,
3: also To correct.
0: be fair to Mike, Mike's, uh you're not even 60 yet, are you? I'm 55, Howard, barely. So, <laughs> ha, well, I want to talk. Let, let's get Gordon around here. Hello, Paul. Hello. When I first met Paul, I was intimidated by him. I knew he was a—I'd heard of him. I knew he was a great player. It was one of those things where, you know, we've talked about this on our show. He was one of those guys— That when I was paired with him before we were friends, you know, I was nervous, I wanted to play well, and invariably would shoot a million with him every time we'd play, until I got the sense of how really ridiculous Paul is. Have you ever, have you seen that side of him yet? Has he shown you the nonsense factory that's really in his head? I enjoy a good joke. I really, <laughs> do you? you, do, you do.
1: I've seen it uh, just in little bits. It's a little. It just the humor just comes in in little ways. Where we're be talking on the phone or, or we you know having you know a session or whatever, and just this real sly stuff, and I go, oh, there it is. Yeah. And uh, so, but no, I have not been uh, privy to the privilege of the of the absolute mayhem that is Paul
0: Gortner when he's letting it go on the golf course. Oh, it's uh, it's something else. So and Paul was one of those guys. And, and then, you know, Mike's probably gone through this where, you know, you want to show him you can play, and it took me a while to kind of calm down, uh, where I could sort of be be myself and play my own game. And part of it was learning. to You know, we got to be friends, and after a while, just the novelty of how good he is wears off.
1: Did you show him how good a player you was by stop trying to show him how good a player
0: you were? I got I, I stopped caring about that because I found out what a what a freaking nut he really is. Um, I got to tell you a quick Gortner story. You know, you know, I have uh, some impulse issues. We all do. Um, it's one of the reasons I don't drink anymore. And so I was at this tournament with Paul last week. And, you know, I, I, because I don't drink, I can still buy buddies around. I always feel like, you know, wh- why shouldn't I take my turn? Just because I'm having soda water and orange juice, that doesn't mean I can't, you know, I want to buy you guys a beer. So I bought uh, Paul's friend a beer and another guy uh, a thing. And I said to Paul, I said, I said, what do you want, buddy? He goes, oh, I'll have a little scotch. I said, cool. You know, I don't know much about scotch. So I go and ask the bartender for some scotch and it's America. So I do remember they don't, they just give you like an ounce or two, right? The guy usually, free pours. Usually. The guy free pours a tumbler of scotch. Like I needed a spotter to bring it back over to Gardner. <laughs> and to Honestly, be clear, to be knows, clear, I asked for a little. No, scotch. he did. He didn't. It was not Paul's fault. But I bring it back to Paul, and it's like me and another guy carrying it. half a bottle. It, no, it was uh, insane. It was like a bathtub. And I give it to Paul, and he goes, "Well, that's uh, more than I really wanted." And then we sat there for an hour, and you know what? He sipped just about a normal amount of scotches, scotch worth of it. Whereas I was watching, him thinking, man, if that were me, <laughs> I'd be wearing it like a shower. Um, I knew what I wanted, and I, I took what I wanted. Um, all right, soft-spoken guy. Just keep quit, keep pretending that you're normal for now. It's fine. So, what, what brought both of you... We'll start with Paul. Because, Paul, by the time you met Tim, you were already an accomplished player. You'd won a bunch of tournaments. You'd played at a high, high level for a very long time. And when I heard that you were working with um, Tim, Mike, n- not that I was less surprised, but I thought, you know, good, because, you know, we both can use some help. But, Gordon, I was actually surprised. What brought you to uh, call up Tim O'Connor at OConnorGolf.ca? Yeah,
3: I think it's, it's simple in, in the sense that it's it's the passion to get better. Um, I think, you know, I've, I've been fortunate enough to, to play this game for quite a while and play in some pretty big tournaments and, and do fairly well, but... There's always that element, especially in golf, because you can do it for so long, um, that you just have this passion to keep getting better. Um, And part of it for me was really a a learning process and and trying to learn what I could uh, from Tim and continue to do. Um, And even listening to the show, learning to all the different perspectives that all the different guests are bringing in has been great. And the biggest thing for me was just the continued passion to get better and keep learning what what I can. Um, and, And really this whole aspect of the mental side of the game is probably something that hasn't really been discussed that freely for the last three, four, five years. It's only really now coming into play where all these tour guys have their, their coaches and they're more talking about it, whereas, you know, when I was a junior or a college student, it was never really even mentioned. Um, so I think it's interesting to, to keep advancing this side of the conversation and uh, something that I'm passionate about learning about.
0: Well, I, I had played with uh, Paul you know, for a couple of years before he started working with you and, you know, Paul always seemed and Mike, you can chime in here if you want. Always seemed like he was playing in the moment, was very present, never worried about bad shots. You know, I tell the story of playing with Gordon on a men's night um, last year where he was like, I said, you know, I think he birdied the last hole for his ninth birdie of the day. <laughs> and I said to him after I said, you know. I don't think I've ever seen nine birdies in two rounds. But, but it just seemed to me like you already had some of the the positive aspects of a good mental sort of plan.
3: Yeah, I would say that I do, but I think there's always room, room to get better. I mean, as you, as you kind of grow in the game, your mind maybe wanders into different things. And, you, you know, perhaps if you've had a good run, um, the expectations kind of set in. If you're not necessarily meeting those expectations in a round or over the course of a week or a few weeks... Uh, or a longer tournament that you're playing, then Mm -hmm. um, it gets a little tougher to maybe rely on the things that have worked in the past, and you want to learn different strategies on how to handle things going forward.
0: So that was your motivation. Mike Bondi, uh, very low-handicap player, lots of good scores, played a lot of tournament golf, I'm assuming. You played the GTAM tours, and you played the club championships, and some amateur stuff. What brought you to see Tim?
2: Well... As I I mentioned, I just started to play golf at 40 and was lucky enough to get better quickly. I had a great coach, uh, Rick Sovereign. And anyway, I started playing. I played in about seven mid-ams, two-ams, three Canadian mid-ams, and very, very rarely made the cut. So then this year... The moment that pushed me over the edge was, I'm over at Sil- Silver Lakes we were at, right? Yeah, you were there. You, That's right. You qualified. Uh, I, I, don't remo- I don't recall that. Did I? Oh, yes, I did. <laughs> so anyway, I'm in the, the 12th fairway, I think one over, and I'm in the middle of the fairway, and I turned it into an 80. And I remember Craig Capito, I see him uh, walking. That's the director
1: of golf at Glencairn. Yeah, uh,
2: Glencairn, uh, walking. uh between the range of the club, I said, I'm just going to become a 10 handicap and try and drink and enjoy golf like everybody else <laughs> because I, I just keep throwing up on myself. You, so, just, you
3: always know what Mike's thinking. He just always lets it out.
2: <laughs> if I want any more shit from you, I'll squeeze your head. All right? Okay. Oh. All right. Here we go. Don't let me. Uh, oh, don't that,
0: let me interrupt your flow. Okay. Was that?
2: Was that? No, it's fine. That's not.
0: G-rated? No, you're fine. No, no it's it, fine. We're just. We, r- we're right it, the right S right. word's fine. We stop doing the F word because once in a while kids listen, but I don't care. I won't say the F word.
2: <laughs> so you so, you, you. so then I I call <laughs> Tim and we meet and we try some things and to, just to give you an example that it it doesn't just happen. He doesn't just read you a verse from the Bible and you're saved. <laughs> My next tournament, I went down to Windsor, a nice place called Beech Grove, and I shot 85. So we keep trying, we keep going, and I, and I really believe we're onto something. And then it clicks, and I go on a run where I shoot 72 and win an event. I shoot 73 and win a, a real nice senior event in, uh, at Essex Golf and Country Club, and then one at Whistle Bear three wins in a row might have been four when i went to peterborough if, if i'd have brought my golf clubs <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, i'm sorry I, i'm pardon me it might have been four in a row you, when you forgot
0: I, your golf clubs and you're giving them crap about being late today but i was on time okay good well i've never actually uh gone had an event and you know not <laughs> had access to my golf clubs have i mike Oh, yeah, you have. This <laughs> and
2: you didn't show.
0: <laughs> I've called Bo- call Bondi. Bonnie I locked my clubs in the trunk of my car. He's like, what? a guy I can't. I can't make it to this event.
1: He's also, been your, he's also your Ryder Cup captain. Oh, yeah, he's I my care, captain. Right? He's our yeah. coach.
0: <laughs> Mike, I can't be there. Why is that, Howard? My clubs are in the trunk. So' is my case. so the point <laughs> being is it didn't click right away, but now now we can segue, Tim, maybe you can talk a little bit as a as a t- sort of an overview of what are the and, and and I've told the guys before you came in that we've never Tim and I never talk about what you guys deal with, but just give us sort of a glimpse into the kind of things you've been working with with Mike and Paul, and are they similar? Are they different um,
1: generally it's it's kind of it's similar. But where I'll go with, um, with Mike, it was just basically, like, Mike is a really good athlete. And one of the things that why I think he excelled quickly at, at golf, taking up at 40, is that he was an exceptional baseball player. Uh, he played at a pre- really high level uh, in, uh, I think he played in, uh, in college. Um, he played with, I think, Guelph, right? Was it the Guelph Royals? Guelph Royals. And you coached it coached it yeah so this is so this guy's a really good athlete whatever
2: act impressed Howard
1: exactly and really good hand-eye coordination so mainly what I wanted to do was just to work with with Mike so he could access that natural athleticism that he had the guy has great hand action through the ball and it was just working in ways to um, help him just free that up and and make a commitment to the target and go And so that was a lot of it was around commitment. And so similarly, we went the same place with Paul in terms of the guy's a plus handicap. You know, like shooting 67 is not a big deal for him. Well, it is a big deal, but it can be done, you know. So a lot of the work was just being able to focus on what he wanted to do trusting in that and committing to a shot, committing to an image, whatever, and working on that. And um, that was a, a key piece for him. And we still continue both with Mike and Paul to, to chip away a lot around that
0: that area of commitment. So that's that's kind of a, a piece that's connected to both. Well, I know it was great for Mike because I, I sort of would run into Mike occasionally and, and hear his results and see that... You know, golf had been become fun again for you. Uh, we, you know, I happened to be at the same tournament we we're talking about this qualifier, and I know you were bummed. I saw you as you came in. First thing he says is, uh, you know, I was one over the 12th fairway, and I'm, I just, you know, I'm handing in a score of 80. I've been there. A lot of us have, especially in tournament golf. Um, and I saw... So I, what I, my point is I saw Mike and heard about Mike's results. With Gortner, though, it's a little more subtle. When a guy can already shoot under par uh, a lot of the time, what were some of the smaller, nuanced uh, improvements you saw? Uh,
3: well, I think, like you said, it was smaller things, and Tim kind of alluded to it. Um, but the things we really focused on were, were process um, and, and commitment, I would say, o- over a shot. And for me um having a round where i was truly truly committed to, to every shot what was a big deal for me um you guys had a gentleman on recently shoemaker from yeah, Fred california shoemaker. and uh that one quote really stuck with me and i know tim and i have talked about this but commitment is freedom really stuck with me i know howard we've, we've talked about this as well um but that one really really stuck with me and if i can think about that before i hit any shot uh, throughout a whole round that was a, a big deal for me um and really, that was really one of my key goals, because, um, you know, 18 holes, four and a half, five hours, it's a long time to be out there and really stay focused. Um, but if I can commit myself to that um, and really think about that before each shot, that was one of the key things that I've worked on
0: in the last couple of months. Mike Bondy, response.
2: What Paul just said reminded me of uh, really is the best of what I get from Tim isn't golf. Um. He, paul talked about being totally committed is the freedom i'm telling you that sometimes i go out there and it doesn't work for example i told you about the great stretch but then i think you helped talk me off the cliff howard and i totally <laughs> just played terrible in our own club championship the second round i actually played with paul and Paul said to me once during the round, I remember we were in eight Scotch block, He said, man, you are still just way too hard on yourself. You said that to me. Anyway, the best part of what I get from Tim is, I hope this makes sense to people, is currently I can play terrible and feel great when I'm done. Mm-hmm. That, by the way, that's that's probably
0: the thing I've learned uh, this summer. And what Tim, What you just said, Mike sums up everything I think we do on the show. Because it's easy to love golf like anything else in your life when it's all going great. But it's a very Zen, Buddhist, whatever philosophy that life is a struggle, golf is hard, and if you don't enjoy it when it's shitty, you're going to have a long life of agony and aggravation. You're going to have, every round is going to seem like it goes on forever. But that's what I've learned. That you can have bad rounds and still bad scores and days when you don't hit it well and still have a great time. You can also have days when you don't hit it well and score well if you have the right frame of mind. I mean, that's what I think, you know, we've talked a lot about on this show. I've learned a lot about, you know, that good ball striking rounds don't happen all the time. And as I said to you, I think I texted you last week and I said, like, um, you know, sort of B plus ball striking, A plus plus mental side. Because I now know that, you know, some days you hit it good, you don't. But if you have good strategy and you're, and you're present, then you'll, then you'll get up and down when you need to. You'll still, you won't be pissed off about the drive. You'll be focused on getting it up and down and making a good bunker shot. And all those things add up to better scores.
1: Yeah, well, I think that at the end of the day, at the end of a round, at the end of a hole, you better be good with you. You better be good with you as as you are, not as you project yourself should be. The expectations you came into around, you better be good with you. And if you start from that place, it's very zen, actually, in many ways, is to look at yourself with actually loving kindness. If you look, I'm good as a person, just as I am, then that's gonna seep into all parts of your game and in your life. If you're good with you, you're gonna swing with freedom. If you're good with you, whatever happens, You're going to be okay with it Mm -hmm. because
0: you know your identity doesn't go up and down with your golf score. With the quality of your golf swing. Amen. You know, one of the things I, uh, one of my favorite Gordner stories. Yes, uh, we hadn't really, we were sort of like hanging out a little bit. We sort of all, there's a group of us that play together, and I got to know Paul. This is about the second year I was there. It was a couple of years ago. And uh, I hadn't played with Paul that Wednesday night, but we're sitting around, there's about 10 of us, and everyone's going, what'd you shoot? 74, 76, 73, 80, whatever. And Gordon's next to me. And I go, dude, how did you play today? He goes, oh, that's pretty good. And I said, what did? You, what was your score? He goes, 69. I went, what? <laughs> because there's 10 of us at the table, and he's the only one not saying a score. And I go, hey, excuse me. Did anyone... The kid here was uh, 69. I said, if, if, if any of the rest of us shot 69, we'd be heading downtown.
3: Well, what you don't know is that I was sitting there fuming. I had a putt for 68, and I nah. was <laughs> really
0: angry. Yeah, you no, were. i just kidding. I know. Yes,
1: yes. But, but, uh, there's, see, there's the Gortner humor right there.
0: Oh, no. If you want to know the real Gortner humor, we'll have to do it another time. Is that like second beer Casey? We? Oh, we yeah. Know. Second beer Court Gortners. Not <laughs> even, I'll tell you what. The real Gortner doesn't even need beer. Well, my point is Paul's comfortable with a different score. So for Paul... The 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 differences are, again, more nuanced. The things that you've been working on with Tim. So has that helped your tournament play? Has Uh, it helped your everyday golf? I would say so, for sure. Um, I think this year,
3: I mean, I've had some good results in tournaments, for sure. I've played in some big events um, earlier in the year down at Winkfoot in the USGA four ball. And that was been great um and you won being, the club
0: championship again enough
3: to win the club It was great this year which has always seems the last couple of years to be a huge battle uh, but it's been two or three years since I've, I've been able to do that so it was uh nice to get back there and i think for sure i mean howard you're obviously there in, in the last round but um some of the things that tim and i talked about were very very present uh in that last <coughs> round and honestly if it wasn't for those things i mean who who knows what would have happened but uh um, but for sure, I feel like they were beneficial to me, and, and similar things to what we just mentioned about commitment is freedom, and um, you know, really
0: trying to understand where your focus is over certain shots was, was kind of critical for me during that round. Mike Bondy, you're a guy similar to me. You know, we run pretty hot at times, and we can be pretty hard on ourselves. How do you and maybe you can use some examples like now when you're out for a round of golf, what is it that do you have an intention at the start of a round? Just kind of walk us through a little bit of the process from Coach Tim and some of the things that a a low handicap player like yourself thinks of whether you're playing a casual round or an event that matters.
2: Well, um, it's interesting because actually, you know, I know, Bob, this is a Bobby Jones quote, but it's so true. Tournament golf could really be called a different sport. And by the way, when you play tournaments, I think it really does uh, loosen you up when you're playing men's night and having fun with your buddies. You'll play better because in a tournament, you sure find out what you're good at and not good at. So in starting around, um, usually I I get off to good starts. And my nemesis has been, as I talked about in the beginning, is continuing and what happens after um a bad shot a bad hole and one of the things that Tim and I worked on and we actually talked about this in the car and I was right near the the Detroit River and I was on my way out to Amherstburg to play Essex Golf and Country Club an amazing course in Canada and near the middle of the round I had some trouble and Tim talked about well try to just walk down the fairway looking at the trees and being happy about this is the county where you grew up, <coughs> which I did down there, where all the good farmers come from, by the way, Howard, and... Apropos of I don't give a crap, go ahead. <laughs> Hurtful. Oh, really? Wow. So anyway, and, and that worked, and I was able to Farm get... Farm versus city. Whatever. Get to... If farmers feed cities. Um, Remember, uh, I'm from Moose Jaw.
0: Every piece of bread you've ever eaten was grown 20 minutes from my house. But continue. Back to golf. Yes. Yes. You can see why we don't play together that much. We...
2: <laughs> so anyway, there was about seven holes to go, and that hole. Looking at the trees and relaxing, it actually worked. I mean, I'm thinking, what does Tim know? But he was right, and it worked. And I well, no, but
0: I want to know specifically. You were going along very nicely, and then you had a bad hole Mm -hmm. somewhere early in the back nine. Your little string of golf being perfect stopped. Yes. And that normally that would be like a recipe for being one over after 12 and shooting 80. Yes. So how did you? So you were you sort of felt like okay. I feel good. Even though I made a bogey or a double, I'm still going to be fine. This is great. I'm having a great time. And that helped inform the
2: rest of your golf. You know, it's simple. We call it hit the reset button. but It's not a button, and you can't just reset it that easily. But you have to try if you're going to save your round. And so I did. I'm looking at the trees, and I'm thinking like that, and I'm relaxing, and I'm thinking... You're not how, thinking about the how. what a crappy break you just got. You're not thinking about, man, I really had it going, and now what? I was initially, but I knew the only way to get out of that was to... Get myself into another place, but
0: Tim, isn't that a the, the, another great point from Mike Bondy. we we all have these thoughts You're not a robot. You're gonna think oh crap, you know, I was playing really well and now what but those thoughts you have to process them There has to be something you do or you just continue to play like now you start beating up on yourself and you sort of spiral Out of control, right?
2: Yeah, and then you it doesn't always work, but I'll tell you when it does the feeling at the end and in this case luckily you know i won the tournament but even if uh uh, you know chris kurtos was there the best senior around and he shoots 67 i shoot my 73 and i'm nowhere near the lead it still would have felt amazing that through the work with tim well he tells me what to do i do the work (laughs) absolutely and and,
0: um i knew this was going to take a long time please continue (laughs) without interruptions it'd be shorter all right fine I'm just trying to give it some
2: context. Anyway, at at the end, it feels magnificent.
0: Tammy, so what do you what do you think of when you hear Mike talk about that?
2: Well, I love
1: hearing it because it's it's really about Mike responding to those things that he holds really important, and what you know what living growing up in that area meant to him. Enjoying the fact he's at a great golf course. He's at a place where he where he grew up and he feels good about it and He loves what's going on. So he's drawing on those deeper. I would say open-hearted emotions within him as Opposed to going to a place of self-judgment That type of thing and what it is is working on the skill of responding so in times past Mike might have re- reacted to, you know, oh, I've just screwed this up. I had a great score going. Now the whole thing's going into the toilet. Okay, anger builds up, frustration, and you go into the spiral of, of what you talk well, about. Well, that's how- a reaction.
0: It's not a response.
1: Exactly. So what we're talking about is the ability to have things happen and then respond. And that's what the skill that Mike is developing. And it's about skill building. So something happened. Kind of Pause and just just be with it for a while, and then start to, and then gradually, Mike would go, oh yeah, okay, well, I'm gonna just check out the trees, I'm just gonna look at the sky, maybe I'm gonna feel the wind on my cheek, I'm gonna walk, feel my body, and in that way, there's just coming a more
0: calming presence that comes. Well, you know, they, uh, this book that we're both uh, reading right now, Zen and the Art of Golf, one of the things that Tim just described is what uh, Dr. Parent talks about is bringing your body and mind together. Because when you have a bad hole, all of a sudden your mind now goes forward and backwards, and you're, all you're doing is thinking and all these thoughts, but your body's still on the fairway of the of 13th green or the 13th hole. Your body's there, but your mind isn't. And all those things that Tim just described, looking at the trees, feeling the wind, starting to breathe all bring your mind back to where you are and then you can you can respond during your uh, description there paul was making some notes what, what what do you think of when mike's talking about
3: well i think the thing that really that i was writing down which which was interesting to me about the skill of responding and having a way to deal with the thoughts that you're having i just thought about a story that was i don't know earlier in this in the swing thoughts life um but the story about graham mcdowell at the irish open oh yeah and, and I think the coolest thing for me learning this summer was that the stuff that we're talking about is not just for the scratch golfer or the amateur golfer like these these are the things that guys on the PJ tour are thinking about and the story of graham mcdowell in the irish open i think he had the lead and he was going down the 15th 16th hole and and he was saying afterwards that what he was thinking about going to that tee was oh my god just don't shank it and it's like really you're, you're an accomplished golfer and graham this is how you make money this is what you do for a living and that's what you're thinking and it's just interesting that this applies across the whole spectrum of, of golfers um and having a strategy to deal with any kind of thought that you have out there um really working on that and building that is really what's going to make you successful so I, I think about graham in that moment and what he was what was he doing to get himself over that thought and, I mean, he's, he's put in so many reps in and routine in terms of hitting golf shots. And, and I'm sure he works on breathing techniques and all that kind of stuff. But it's just interesting that he had that thought and how he dealt with it.
0: Obviously. And I think what you he say was, is interesting, too, because it's not just for scratch golfers or tour players. If you're a 15 or a 12 or a 20 handicap, you're going to have – you're going to – I always think that higher handicappers think that we experience golf differently. We don't. And as Paul just pointed out, whether you're Graham McDowell or Howard Glassman or Mike Bonney, you're experiencing the game. But if you're a 20 handicap and you're having a good round going, whatever that is, you shot 45 in the front nine and you know that if you just do the same in the back, you're going to break 90 and you get to the 14th fairway and you've screwed up, you're going to have the same emotional response and reaction that we have. It's just numbers are different. And I think that's why some of the best feedback we've gotten, I think, is from, you know, guys who aren't scratch players, you know, guys with single digits or 12s or whatever. And, and they because they, they experience the game. It's the same thing.
1: Everybody goes through it. You're, you're, a lot of people have this misperception that PGA Tour players or LPGA Tour players Operate in this place of bliss and no mind and no thought. That's totally wrong. Just like you said about Graham McDowell. So whether you're a 36 handicapper or a plus handicapper like you or a low handicapper, really it's about skill building. It's not woo-woo stuff at all. It's, a lot of it is just also being aware. Where are you paying attention? What, what are you focused on right now? If you judge that it's in a good place... Hey, fine. But if you go, oh, my gosh, I'm, I'm going to screw this up or, oh, gosh, if I par in, I'm going to shoot my career around. You're in the future moment. So you make a decision. Is this serving me to be thinking about this or not? If it's not, then you make a choice. But it's all around the, the skill of knowing where your attention
0: is and making a choice. And I think you're right. Um, you know, I've worked a little bit with Tim. I worked with Paul Doolin for a few years. And I think for me, the biggest thing I've learned this summer, because I've been a, I've played tournament golf a long, long time, but I hadn't played it in a long time at the, at the level I played this summer. And I think the thing I learned is there's a difference between being nervous, excited, and scared because we're all, we're all nervous and excited at big events and if you're listening and you're a 15 handicapper, that might be your, whatever, club championship and you're in the C flight. But we all know what that feels like. But I used to be scared. And what I, t- what I mean by scared is not scared of the tournament or who, who I was going to see. I was always scared, and I want to hear your response to this. I was scared that I wouldn't be able to play. That I wouldn't be, a, I wouldn't be good enough. To play that day in the event. It would be too much man. me. And I used to think the reason I couldn't close the deal or, you know, get, get in from uh, being one over and shooting 80, I thought maybe I was just too nervous. But I realized in retrospect, I was scared. I was scared of what bad things might happen. And a couple of weeks ago, before you comment, I just want to finish this. A couple weeks ago, I started off by saying, I realize all golfers start every round thinking today's the day nothing bad will happen. And whether you start off like you do, Mike, usually you play well, or like sometimes with me, I'll bogey the first three holes. I did this about a month ago at midnight, men's night, I bogey the first three holes, played the next, three, next 15, three under par. And I said to Tim, the reason I could do that is I was fine if I had bogeyed every single hole. I didn't care. Because before I'd go, man, I'm three over par, now what? But the point is, we all believe that golf's supposed to be, somewhere in our subconscious, a carefree, mystical, you know, hit every shot perfect, but it's not. So I I think what I learned is that I'm not scared anymore. I know I'm going to hit some bad shots. I'm fine with it because I know I'm also going to hit a lot of good shots. And that's the key for me, that I start every round now going, I might hit this OB on the first hole, but I'm going to make the best double bogey I can. Whereas before, as soon as I'd hit one bad shot, I was done. I, I couldn't recover. But because I've, as we used to say this word, evidence, I've got evidence now of recovering. You know, I, I've I've been in the middle of a round and had it going good and bad and, and neither of them bothered me anymore. Your your response to that. About
2: being scared versus excited. I'm not sure what I can add. You 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 nailed it. Um and I would agree. And 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 working with Tim and um God when I say this, next thing you know, Tim will be unavailable. But it's uh Oh he'd love that. <laughs> I mean, it's it's such a good uh Investment because it's it's not a lot of money and you feel it's I less charge pay. more.
0: You do, especially it, him. <laughs> By the way, you need danger pay working with him.
2: It, now, you know, guys with Tourette's have attention deficit. What was I talking about, Paul? Um,
0: the fact that Tim's a good investment, that it's worth the money, that it's it's worked well. You're not nervous anymore.
2: I certainly still get nervous. I but mean, the, not scared though. The There's scared a difference. part, absolutely, absolutely, and and I think. Um, Because I feel like I've done the work I'm doing the work and also like practice with a consequence the the whole thing of I'm going to hit four more balls, even if the last two are crap, I'm heading to the tee. Because now I'm doing things with a consequence, so I've done the work. Because that's what happens once the round starts; it has a consequence.
0: That's why that that we talked about this on last week's show. That, that, you know the old cliche about the longest walk is from the range to the first tee. The reason is because you the first shot you hit of any round of any day of golf that has any consequence is the tee shot in the first hole. But if you practice a couple, your last five minutes, play a couple holes, pretend um, there's some consequence. So, Gordon, what about you in terms of you know? either commenting on the fact that there's that a lot of golf is you're afraid whether you're afraid to be embarrassed or you're afraid of hitting a bad shot what will happen to me if i do etc well
3: it's funny you mentioned being <clears throat> trying to figure out whether you're scared or, or excited i think it's almost hard as golfers to try to figure out what you are at a certain point in time um i mean you mentioned that you think the biggest thing you learned this summer was that um you know being scared and how to overcome that but even when i think about this past week going down to play oak hill and thinking about that event on that golf course that grand golf course (laughs) and and it's hard to think about that event without thinking about bogeys and and making a few bogeys and doubles absolutely you know which almost has a connotation for a golfer of oh my god i'm scared to play this golf course no but but you're
0: not scared of making bogeys you're not scared of what paul will be if you make a bogey right but i think you know tim and i've talked about this
3: and, and i can't recall what event it was but we were talking before a big event and and tim was like do you think you're just excited and i was like yeah I think I am like I'm just excited to go and play this course whether that involves making bogeys or whatever but um so I think as golfers it's hard sometimes to decipher what what we're actually feeling and I think a lot of times we we all we just jump to the negative side of of whatever we're thinking about um positive thinking I think in golf is something that doesn't happen all that
0: well the thing about being positive like we talked to him a little bit about before i went to oak hill because we played this better ball event paul was playing in the mid-am uh i was playing in the senior division and i said to tim before i left last week i said the difference between this and the mid-am which was a few months ago and i you know i talked about it on the show about golf being in golf hell um is that i knew i wasn't scared of what was going to happen and it's the first big event i've played really ever i think where I was excited and I was nervous, but there was nothing about the event that I was was scared of. I knew that I was going to hit some good shots and I was going to hit some bad shots. And that's the, for me, Paul, it's a huge difference. Because I went to Oak Hill and it's magnificent. I mean, we can't do it dusted. It was something else. But I got to the first tee, practice round, the pro am round. I put up a couple of good scores. Like I felt pretty good about whatever was going to happen, and that's the difference for me.
1: Yeah, and I think that uh, we uh, we talked uh, before on your way down, I think, or before it, and that. And I remember talking to you too when you were heading down to. Um, it wasn't Medina, it was another one. it was uh, Wingfoot. Wingfoot. Yeah, another yeah. one of those grand U.S.
2: Oh, you know, courses. Wingfoot, Major Oak Hill, golf course.
0: whatever, you yeah. know, the tournaments. <laughs> they're okay, yeah.
1: they're okay. Exactly. I always go to this place um, with so many people, is that enjoy the experience. Right. Savor it. Drink everything you can from it. And when you come at that with that intention, I just think that you give yourself kind of a, a, a pass. And you don't come at this place of like being so critical, and that you're going to really enjoy. And and really sounds kind of stupid in many ways. Um, you know, go enjoy yourself. But in golf, it's actually kind of a foreign concept. You know, if you tee off before, say, a club C, or whatever, everyone says, oh, play well," and. I I just say to everyone, have fun. Yeah, have fun. I think
3: I have a really good example of this as well this year, going to play the Invitational at the National this year. Um, One of the toughest courses probably in the world, but definitely in Canada. Um, And really, all I was focused on going into that event was was having fun and enjoying the day because I knew that it was going to be very easy for me to make some bogeys. I'm probably going to hit some tee shots in the water, out of bounds, whatever. Going to miss a lot of greens. And I truly went there not really caring what happened. And the first round I went out and shot seventy two, which was arguably my best round in a long time on that golf course. The national whoa. yeah. From the gold tees, excellent it's an shape, absurd, it's, it's ridiculous how how, um, how
0: good a round of golf that is.
3: And really, I mean, my round wasn't textbook. I didn't hit every fairway, every green. That's I right. just I just was really comfortable in missing a fairway or missing a green. Because I knew it wasn't
0: really a big deal. But, Paul, I want to tell you, my at, at the National Invitational, I was still kind of... I hadn't learned this lesson. i got to tell you, for me, and I want to get too hokey, but it's changed my golfing life. Yeah, you've transcended, man. Because uh, like, it's, it's, it's at the National, I was worried about how I looked, what would happen. I, when I shot a million. I shot a million at the Mid-Am. I tell you, Bondi... Uh, I like Mike a lot, but I liked him even more. He was one of the first people to text or call me on my way out of the l- first round the, at the mid-am. I shoot 91, and the first call I get from is from Bonnie telling me I'm still an okay person. You know, meanwhile I'm like just wanting to drive into traffic and shit. <laughs> but but I've learned. I got to tell you, I've learned a lesson. I went to Oak Hill last week, and you know, I I I, I shot uh, even par in the uh, pro-am. Like I played really really well. And I played very, very well in the tournament. But I want to tell you about the first hole. It's a little easy par four for us, 380. I'm hitting three wood. And I'm not sure if I should cut it or, or turn it over. I think, okay, maybe I'll cut it because my hands are shaking. And I think, okay, at least the club will hit it somewhere. And I hit <laughs> it and I hit it beautifully. Like, really nice little, you know, right down the middle, 245. And I got like 165 to the green. And I'm thinking, did I tell you how? Mm-hmm. So And I'm thinking, okay, great. The round's underway. And I've got off the first tee. Get to my ball. And I just take out a seven r and it 's just a stock number and go to hit it, and I hit it so fat hmm. I, 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 it was it, there was so much turf that came up, I thought they were the grounds crew was going to have to come back and start sodding again <laughs> and as soon it was almost like I had this electrical shock but i instead of being Humiliated or feeling like I'm a bad person, I literally, my next breaths, I said to everyone, Go, well, I'm not nervous. <laughs> and everyone laughed, including me, <laughs> but it gave me, it calmed me down because I admitted, Hey, I guess I am nervous because that just happened. So I can't pretend I'm not nervous. Made bogey and I parred the next eight holes. Actually, it's not too bad. A bogey and a birdie. My point is, I go from making this weird thing happen in my body to being able to play the next hole like it it was okay because I was okay with that event. It didn't make me feel terrible. Whereas I think you and I, Mike, especially, have had situations where that kind of thing
2: could be the end of a round. Well, one of the things that Tim and I have worked on is when I'm doing the work, you get on in a situation, whether it's on the tee or like you're talking about, and i feel the nerves coming i say to myself well come on in sit down and watch the show i don't think you can not be nervous where i as i see it i see it as learning how to handle being nervous yeah
1: yeah and and because nerves means you care it's your body's way, your body and mind's way of getting you ready, amping you up. You got your adrenaline has to be at a certain level to hit the ball, and you got to be, you got to be ready, willing, and able to go. And that's your body's way. So nerves are a good thing. I would just say, welcome nerves.
0: Well, and you also have to be able to accept. I think that the biggest learning for me this summer, and that's why I, I said on, on the way home, I was talking to my brother, who's a psychologist, strangely enough. I said, I just wish the golf season was in front of me now because I, I know a lot of the results that I had that were you know less than what I wanted. Um, just knowing that I'd be okay no matter what happened would have made the experience more enjoyable. I don't know if I would have shot better. I suspect I would have had a lower score, but the experience would have been... More satisfying because I got to be honest. When you called me that day, Mike, after my first round in the mid am, like I didn't. I, it wasn't a very pleasant day for me. Like it was kind of crappy, and I think you knew that, uh, which is why I thought it was so nice of you to reach out to me because it really wasn't. It wasn't a very. I, although now I know I could have had that number and I would have been fine, which is a big difference.
1: I think an interesting thing what I would have been picking up from you guys is that you are aware of what's actually going on within you as opposed to all the mental activity you're actually cognizant of your of your feelings so yeah that includes emotions but also the physicality so what was really interesting is you mentioned that you were on the first tee and you felt your hands were shaking oh yeah so you were aware of that instead of all the what Typically happens with me, I've been through this, and many golfers, it's all this mental activity. You know, I need to do this, I have to do this, I'm, oh, make sure I do this in my swing, all this. Whereas, you responded, we go back to that, that little chestnut there, and you went, okay... Uh, this is what's going on my hands that a cut
0: would probably work Because yeah, I don't have to do anything with my hands other than just get the club near the ball exactly But that's brilliant.
1: That's that's a an aware person making a good choice And then when you when you fatted it like you did took that bath that you know, the solar uh, size of a what? bath mat soil bath Oh, yeah <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> well, Tim but you responded yes, and, and so the electric shock that went through you diminished it by using humor and i just really think that just uh, that when we're aware of what's going on within ourselves really go instead of all this mental activity we can respond in in ways that will will help us bring us to what we want to accomplish
2: i was at the uh, hamilton invitation where we play the 27 holes the first two years they had it and Henry Brumpton that's Brunton, I think Brunton, Brun- yeah Brunton, yeah. yep a, a national yeah, coach, golf right? coach yeah, good golf coach yeah. he was a guest speaker and he talked about if there were three things what does he tell competitive players I still remember what the number one thing uh, that he said was most important for that level player and you think you're going to say short game and putting he said a go-to shot from the tee so, for example they're going to be nervous just like Howard talked about and Howard, knowingly or not knowingly, made a mental decision to go with a go-to shot. Mm-hmm. Well, no, and
0: and I think under under pressure, you need to have something you can rely on. That even though you're nervous, you know that you'll be able to somehow get the club on the ball. Do you have a shot like that? You don't. I mean, I, I've played a lot of golf with Paul the last couple summers. You don't seem to. You know, you, you sort of work the ball both ways. Generally, you hit a baby fade.
3: Yeah, I think generally, I mean, if I really need to hit a fairway or hit a certain shot, I'll kind of revert, like your situation. I'll try to hit a little cut out there just because, for me, that's kind of the nature of, of what my swing gives me, and it's easier for me to hit that shot. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's great. And actually, if you look at a lot of the big tour guys right now, they're they're all hitting big cuts. I mean, you remember seeing the, the coverage from the U.S. Open and Dustin Johnson in the last hole hitting that big I mean, mind you, his cut's going 320 and mine's going 240. But anyway, yours um, is going yours, 240. Yours it's goes now. longer than that. Long long. long. okay, all it's right, like oh, stop the humble all crap, All right, Please. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'll, if I'll I'll revert, your golf swing, I'd burn mine. I'll, I'll revert back to to that shot because, well, I mean, honestly, but if you really think about why you're so comfortable hitting that shot, mm-hmm. it's because I have a lot of experience pulling that off, right? Um, evidence, and I'm very comfortable. Exactly, evidence. I'm very comfortable hitting that shot because I know nine times out of ten I can hit it.
1: And that's and that's again speaks to the physicality of golf. You are comfortable. you're not standing over the shot going and there's just this feeling that's creeping into you like you know electricity going through your veins of going like, "Oh, this isn't right," and shuffling around. When you feel comfortable, it's your mind and body no going, "I got this, I've hit this a lot of times. I can do this. it fits right. Go with it."
0: Well, I will say the word evidence uh, came up a lot last mm-hmm. week. You're playing a better ball tournament. We've all been like partners with the guy, and you don't want to let the person down and vice versa. And, again, we're playing in a pretty big event, and I hit lots of horrible shots. So did my partner. But the reason we, I, I was so proud of the way we played the second day because neither of us got down on ourselves or each other. We were, you know, the guy I played with, Tim Southcott, is a great competitor, but I, I learned something about him. He is an amazing Uh, cheerleader because lots of guys when they're not playing well in a better ball situation, them getting down on themselves affects you because you're thinking, oh, God, now i got to babysit this guy exactly, and I'm trying to play well. But um, as as Paul and I discussed after my first round, you know, the first nine or ten holes, you know, I was playing very well and Tim was sort of scrapping it around, but he couldn't have been more encouraging to me and it made me feel like Okay, we're we really are a team and the second day when we were both kind of playing bad and good like I took a lesson of that I was when I had a, when I was out of the hole man I was like help really in you know helping him read pots and encouraging him and I, and I was uh, Like for us to shoot 71 as a team the second day which was a really tough day You know, we didn't neither of us had our good stuff, but we were good at times Which again is what golf is you're never gonna hit you know, my, my, my best round of the year, I had seven birdies and shot 72, which means I made seven bogeys as well. But it was a tough day, and people made bogeys. But I allowed myself, when I did hit good shots, to, to, to pay it off. Now, in other years, I'd have made seven bogeys and shot 82. My point being is, you're, in any game you play, whether it's Paul shooting 67, or me and Mike shooting even par, or you shooting 74 or 5, or whatever the number is, you all... We all have moments in that round where, man, I went for that pin. It just didn't work out. And the key is, what, what happens next? I think as we wrap up, I think that's the, the thing I want Tim to talk a little bit. It's really about what do you do next after something good and bad? Because that's the nature of our game.
1: I always think in, in anything, whether uh, it's, a, it's in golf, it's in traffic, or in dealing with your kids, is that ability to just pause. Just hit pause, and I wish that uh, when I when my kids were younger, I, I had a pause button, and that I had learned to use it. And and with whatever degree of wisdom and experience I've picked up along the way, it's really I think it, that to me is a, is just a key piece right there. Things happen all the time; it's how we respond to it which gets us through. Jails are full of guys who reacted right. And the golf course is littered with bad scores with people who react. And to it's as all well. part
0: of my third book, Embrace the Struggle, coming soon from Random House. Um, <laughs> <laughs> to finish up today, let's ask Tim, um, your student, Mike Bondy, and your student, Paul Gortner. What what kind of transformative things, and or maybe you, we've already talked about it, but what's sort of your piece on uh, watching your guys this summer and seeing their progress? Yeah, and then, who do you like better? That's really what we want. Oh, uh, dudes! Yeah. He's, you could say it. By it's the way, okay. you'll get over it. He's told me, <laughs> and you wouldn't believe it. <laughs> it's me. <laughs> Anyways, Timmy, um, I would say with uh, with
1: with Mike, it's mainly been around just knowing how really good a player and 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 how good a person, and just how he's a, he's a great human being to be around, and when he can bless himself like that. I think that that's when his his best golf happens, and he's just a, you know, he's a good guy to be around, and so no matter what happens in golf or anything, he's always going to be a
0: good guy. I want to say uh, I agree with you. One of the things I love about being around Mike is that um, I'm more competitive, well, I guess more, I was going to say, than people would think, but I think people know I'm competitive, and I love that Mike likes to compete. And we've had some, we've been on some teams together, and and um, I think that's my one of my favorite things about being around Mike is that you know he's he's there to compete, and whatever it takes to do that, whether it's work on your short game or see a mental coach, Mike is going to do it. And not everyone's willing to do that to open themselves up to that process. So well done, you, sir. Thank you. I think
2: I need a tissue after Tim talked about.
0: I hope you mean for your eyes, not yes. something else, right? Right, right. <laughs> oh, because who knows what you're doing down there? I have no idea. Well, I'm really enjoying working. <laughs> You're right. No, I just made myself laugh. <laughs> like,
2: was was Bondy really playing? No, he wasn't really playing with himself. Um, thank you, Tim, and it's it's been a great journey. I mean, it's really it's made me um, it's made me happier. Yeah,
0: cool. And isn't that really what it's about? Uh, Paul Gortner. What about Gortner's uh, journey, uh, Tim?
2: Um, your second second favorite student
1: <laughs> <laughs> what it's really been interesting working with with Paul like, so Paul's a plus handicap he's a very he's a yes, very I experienced know. player boring and um what we've been doing recently is been going through some th- things that happen on the golf course like you had a moment in your mid-am qualifier right it was going really well and then it just then he made a big number and It was really interesting. We we just debriefed and got really deep into actually what happened there, and it was so. It's in he's he's at such a level of 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 competitions that when we start to really look at those things, we can we can we can start to really be really aware of what happened.
0: Like a bridge over troubled water. Yes. Wow. That's right. Unbelievable. Tim O'Connor. I'm gonna lose it. (laughs) O'ConnorGolf.ca. You can get a discount. Call now. Operators are standing by. <laughs> Limited time. Wait a minute. This is better for, for Bondi. Uh, Tim, what is it, Mike? I love you, man. I love you, too. Okay, goodbye. Um, And, uh, I mean, really, what can you say about my progress? Nothing. I no longer want to throw clubs and torture irons and
1: kick stuff. I think you need to go back to the National and fish out those ponds. It needs to be a Not ritual
0: yet. thing, <laughs> taking them <laughs> yeah, back. I, do. I got some wedges in some. Of- I got wedges in every pond in that golf course. <laughs> I want to you in my arms again. Um, There was a book we talked about when we first met Timmy and I, and I can never remember the name of it. It's uh, something in the sort of the Swedish version of Extraordinary Golf. And in the book, it talks about most golfers, and I was certainly that person. I was certainly the worst I'd ever met. Way beyond you, Mike. I I had some psychotic behavior. And the book, one of the things that stuck with me is he said most golfers are only one or two bad swings away from the day being over. Total meltdown. Total meltdown. And I was that guy. I was one or two bad shots in a row from not being able to play anymore. And what I think I've learned this summer is now I kind of have an unlimited amount of that. I, I never think, oh, gosh, th- when am I going to lose it? Yeah, I, I get we get we all get angry. Miss the play, you ah, go, oh, God, you know, but it doesn't stay with me the way it used to, which is, I think, the biggest learning I've had since we've met.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no. Your game is—it's uh, really been fun. We've been doing this podcast since January, so we've had a lot of interesting people on. Um, so we've we've both gained in in knowledge, um, but it's like I've come to learn is that there's there's a difference between what you know and what you do. And you had to go through some golf hell. <laughs> you had to go through some pain and suffering yes. to make your transition, because nothing don't learn nothing
0: on a good day. Nope. Uh, great, thank you, Paul Gortner. Thank you uh, for. Uh, if you need, uh, I don't even know what. What do you do? Do you need uh, a call Paul Gortner if you need some big? T- if your company needs auditing or whatever it is, he does. That's actually quite accurate. So, if you need auditing, call Paul Gortner. If you yeah. need, uh, uh, he's retired. Farming tips. <laughs> <laughs> and learn how to sell. Uh, exactly. If you need motivation, uh, call Mike Bondy. He's uh, he, I love playing with people. And he, if
1: you need a good laugh, listen to humbleandfredradio.com.
0: Uh, oh, careful with golf. The, careful if the kids are around no it's not safe for work um, yeah. and by the way Mike thank you for all the emails you send me with those pictures I don't know where you find these uh, art, golf, right? all art uh, golf art. pictures amazing thank Im- you impressions Ama- some of the bunkers and uh and uh Howard thank you so much for the for that Oak Hill hat thanks man it's my pleasure I, I got that with some of my winnings um did you what did you buy with your winnings Paul okay that's um, all the time we have Uh, O'ConnorGolf.ca. And, of course, as always, brought to you by TaylorMade Adidas, the number one driver in golf. TaylorMade M1, M2, uh, blah, blah, blah. Thanks, Glenn, Karen, and Bruce Brandt.